Morbius, operated by the electromagnetic impulses of individual Krell brains. To what purpose? In return, that ultimate machine would instantaneously project solid matter to any point on the planet, in any shape or color they might imagine. For any purpose, Morbius. Creation by mere thought. Why haven't I seen this all? Welcome, Earthlings. Uh, this is a brand new, shiny, uh, Cold War era episode of Let the Movie Speak. My name is Travis. And I am Justin. Captain Justin of the spacecraft. What is it called in this? ND? C-57D. Yeah. Such a really... It just rolls off the tongue. It rolls <laughs> off, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's... Uh, when Chevy unleashed um, the uh, Corvette, and yes. they were like, we're going to call it the C-57D. And everyone <laughs> went, that's actually a stupid name. So let's call it the Corvette. Is that the model was... of a, a typewriter or a, a fax machine? <laughs> I, those two things yeah. don't belong in the same right. joke. I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, this is a sci-fi movie. Pew Pew Blasters and um, mm. aliens and such. Well, aliens, kind of. No. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. Kind of disappointingly few aliens, in my opinion. <laughs> um, few of many things. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about Forbidden Planet today. The Forbidden Planet. No, just Forbidden Planet. Drop the the. Uh, from 1950. Well, it is the. I mean, it's the only one. So. It is. That's true. You know, Justin, uh, I once mm. saw a stage play called Return to the Forbidden Planet, and it had spacey, like kind of Star Trekky stuff in it, and Shakespearean dialogue and musical numbers from like the '60s. Like you know that song Gloria. Wow. Um, G L O R I A. That one. Um, yeah. So it was weird, and it kind of makes sense to me more now that I've seen this. A couple of those things, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever? I'm s- happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I am too. I'm also happy for me. Good. I'm happy to Good. be here discussing this movie for better or for worse with you. Um, yeah. Buddy. For, for worse in this case. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, let's, okay. Before we get there and we talk to Robbie the robot and, and the other people, let's uh, mm. talk about what we watched this week. Okay, Justin. So I think we can, we can, we can tag team um, one of the, what did we watch this week's, uh, okay. This week, um, let's do it. Yeah, because I watched the first episode of a series that I had been seeing some buzz about on, you know, Twitter and other places. People are saying things like, "You will not believe watch like what happens next in this show. Like you could not possibly predict what happens." Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, "What? This is a comedy show. Like, who? What are you talking about?" So I put it on, and it's called The Rehearsal with Nathan Fielder. Um, I had already watched a few episodes of, have you ever seen Nathan Fielder for you, Justin, his other no, show? No, I have not. Yeah, that's really funny and worth watching too. Um, it's it's similar, but not nearly as bombastic in its conceit, I would say. Um, he just like goes and like does someone's job with them for a day, but he's just really ridiculous and funny. The rehearsal, on the other hand, Justin, uh, this is mm. something different, wouldn't you say? 
Uh, yeah, it is different. It, it It's an exciting time, I think, to be a comedy creator. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like comedians benefit. They, they're maybe one of the biggest winners of kind of the streaming extravaganza yeah. that we're witnessing, where this show is never going to get a network. I mean, I don't even think Comedy Central would put some money behind this, you know, not like this much money. Channel. No, not. In, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work unless it's at the scope that it is at. And he had to go Ex- to yeah, HBO to get yeah. it. Yeah. No, this is, if you haven't seen it, the, <laughs> at least the concept of the first episode yeah. is that uh, Nathan Fielder is going to help this guy uh, who wants to potentially tell the truth to a close friend that he has lied to for many years about his academic credentials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about not not the most important thing in the world, but it's a big and, deal. And the way that he does that in the show's conceit is that he um, recreates the person that he's going to try to help. He recreates their home so he can practice having conversations with <laughs> that guy before he meets him. Yeah. And then that he recreates the restaurant where the guy he's trying to help is going to meet his friend. Yes. Uh, so that they can practice, including with uh, like working staff and pizza, and uh, so yeah. It's, and then he uh, recreates the friend. <laughs> he does recreate the friend. Oh, uh, yeah, it's really. Cool. Yeah, it it is a, a blast, and we talked about this before. I don't think it really matters if this thing is entirely scripted. In fact, I think it it probably is. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm. But, you know, on the fence at times, but it. Yeah, you're watching it in like, you know, this show's been out for a while, so I don't care about like, you know, spoiling the quote unquote twist in terms of the first episode. I'm sure every episode is full of those insane like let's uh, let's rewind the tape and I'll show you what really happened kind of moments, you know. Right. Um, But the minute they get to the restaurant that they've built on the soundstage, I was like, this man is this is this man is insane. Like this is, yeah, this guy's nuts. Um, and I, I don't, again, whether it's scripted or not, they did in fact build that set, which is, you know, I'm sure aping a real restaurant. It's just like, it, it's crazy. Um, well, but you never see for sure. I mean, it's shot pretty carefully, but you never see the inside of the, you know, yeah. it, it, to me, it's unclear if you, you know, they've clearly built a set. All right. I'm not trying to say it's that's a deep fake or something. Yeah. But I, it's not clear to me that the one location does not double for both. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. But I, th- I find um, I find that we have fallen into the, the pitfall that we were once criticizing. <laughs> is it real or is it not real you're i think you're right and it doesn't matter it's hilarious okay um i'm sorry no. i let us into the pit travis i think um, i did too i think we complete each other and we both yeah. held hands and jumped into the pit and we shouldn't do that's that. a beautiful and there's lots of tar in here yeah it's i don't know who did that yeah it's i like a good pit but i'm not a big fan of tar um i'm not a great big fan of tar i did i i think though that this the show ends on such a beautiful note <laughs> It's very, it's much more poignant that, than most other creators, especially in the genre, would go for. I think, I think so too. Yeah, uh, and so that that to me is what makes it really exciting because it's very hard to 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 even to just call this like, oh, this is Nathan Fielder's new comedy show. Yeah, I, I feel like that 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 sells him a little short it, because that's, that's this is pretty yeah. ambitious and this is pretty <laughs> far reaching. Yeah, it's more of. Did you were are, did you say it was like an experience? Oh, for the it, love! I like I don't. I I told you when I like recommended it. I was like, I want you to watch this 
I watched it with with my wife um, Morgan, and she just kept looking at me like, "Why are you still watching this?" Because yeah, it's so incredibly uh, uncomfortable by design. Um, if, You're right. So if that's the kind of humor that absolutely repels you, then stay far away from this show. So okay, so you could have that reaction, yes. or you could have the reaction where you're interested in it, like us weirdos. Yeah. Or my wife Kelsey watched it with me, and she came away saying, "Well, I didn't like find it super funny, but I found it very relaxing to watch, <laughs> like something I would watch before I went to bed." So she kind of enjoyed uh, it, you know. I um, do not understand that reaction at all, at all, not yeah. even one iota. But you know, hey, if if it's relaxing for her, then by all means, you know, by all means, forget the Kenny G, means. just pop on an episode of the rehearsal. There you go. Yeah. That puts most people to sleep, right? Well, speaking of going to sleep, Travis, yes. how would you like to spend 367 days in a spacecraft <laughs> journeying faster than the speed of light towards Altair 4? I would, Justin, there's nothing I would like more. So it's 1956, and uh, we have, I believe, one of the very first big budget, uh, you know, widescreen color sci-fi adventure movies to hit theaters uh, in the form of Forbidden Planet. Um, and Justin, this comes out of, funnily enough, the same studio that uh, made Singing in the Rain, which we just reviewed. Uh -huh. And um, another film that you may have heard of called uh, The Wizard of Oz. And um, Wizard of... Yeah. Doesn't sound familiar. Toto, Dorothy, Scarecrow. No, we'll have to do an episode on it sometime. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't ring any check bells. It check it out. Um, it is... Uh, it's one of those, like, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of tentpole. Like, they wanted to make their money back and then some and then some and then some. So... Um, that's, that's what this movie was intended to be. And I think for that reason, we're going to have plenty of, um, interesting conversation about the, the spectacle of it all. Um, and certainly, um, <laughs> all the stuff in between the spectacle, like the dialogue and the, you know, uh, story mm. and <laughs> characters, and <laughs> story and characters. Yes. Huh? This movie does have them. Uh, Oh, it oh, yeah. I'll remind you Did what they are later. Did we watch the same movie? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but another man, you could argue, some do, Justin, some argue that another man is responsible, other than Fred Wilcox, the director, and the guys ah. credited for the screenplay. His yes. name is William Shakespeare. And uh, this mm -hmm. is uh, loosely based on The Tempest by William Shakespeare. Um, Supposedly, right? Yeah. I mean... I think my takeaway from that is that you remember in Breaking Bad, there's that episode Ozymandias. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, the, the corollary there, it, even if all you had was the title, is yeah. that like Ozymandias, one day no one's going to remember Walter. It's not going to matter. Sure. You know, he fell. All this. Yes. Yes. Uh, he, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but does that mean, even though there's an episode called Ozymandias, and even though the show makes a, a through line between those two things, sure, I I don't think anyone in their right mind would say Breaking Bad is an adaptation of Ozymandias. Yeah, like they share maybe some similarities that that even the show references, 
but that does not make it an adaptation. I would say this, to me, Forbidden Planet and The Tempest share a very similar relationship. Yeah, where you yeah, might see some right. very general, big brushstroke similarities, like guy lives alone with his daughter, yeah. and that's about it. All that crap about trying to make Robbie the robot, you know, Ariel <laughs> the spirit. It's like no, no, no. It's no, just Ro- Robbie it's, the it, robot is a direct carryover from the Tempest, though. You forget him, Matt. <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> Shakespeare was so ahead of his time. So wow. ahead of his time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Some people think Shakespeare is still alive today, and he is the robot. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, let's not. We we can't. It's on the next episode of the rehearsal. We can't um, know, Justin. We cannot know. We can't know. Uh-oh. That's right. We, c- we can't even know if he wrote his own plays. Apparently. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. So I I I find that a little. I I feel like that might unfortunately come from maybe some camps that want to give this movie more importance and more credence or or value or something than it actually has or just like value it for things that it doesn't who cares like it, you can you can look at it as an influential film which it is you know sure. and yeah it's certain respects and not not oversell the elements that have no business being oversold you yeah, know exactly yeah and yeah i don't know if this bears saying travis but i just want to lay it out at least for myself that our intention, whenever, even if we watch a movie like today, I don't know if you've picked up or not or not yet, but we did not love Forbidden Planet. Yeah. In fact, we disliked it. Yes. However, that doesn't mean we don't want to be honest about it, right? Like we want to be aware enough of our own biases that we can kind of check those at the door and go, you know what, that's just kind of a me thing. But yeah. really, this movie is is good in this way or that way. So there are definitely things, especially visually, we want to. Uh, be honest and objective about and give this movie credit for. But at the same time, I think it's important to be honest and objective and where the movie, especially with the question of what's it saying, if it fails to really say anything and that is confused or it says very little, I, I, I feel like we that that's our, that's our, that is our duty, Travis. We, yes. can't, we can't be derelict in our duty yeah. to let the people know. No question. So... Um, we're going to do our best folks and we're going to, we're going to try to have some fun because you know, they, they can't all be winners folks. Um, and so let's just lastly acknowledge that this did win an Academy award and you might guess what it's for Justin. Um, best screenplay. Um, no, actually to to William Shakespeare. (laughs) Yeah. Zombie Shakespeare accepted the award. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. He's still alive and Robbie the robot. Robbie. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm, uh, when I when I say it won an Oscar, what I mean to say is it didn't, and it was nominated for one because I apparently can't <laughs> read. Okay. It was uh-huh. nominated for Best Effects, and it's 1957 for the, the ceremonies for the 56th year. Do you have any clue what won uh, Best uh, Visual Effects that year uh, over Forbidden Planet, Justin? No, but I'm really just inching away my buttocks for my seat so that i can be the first to receive this information it was a little movie called the ten commandments uh so well there were some powerful visuals in there but uh, and and like that's very interesting uh weird stuff too you know what i mean like as someone who uh appreciates the ten commandments but certainly sees it as a hollywood product um right there's some really kind of crazy effects in the ten commandments so that's basically the background, folks. It is, um, I would say it's, um, 
weirdly enough, not one of those space racy stories. You know what I mean? It's not like the Twilight Zone mm. episodes that are really like a thinly veiled allegory for the Cold War, but the right. the whole idea of like let's explore space and it's just on the 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 mind of everyone in pop culture. That's certainly here. Well, let, let's try, Justin, to get in our little okay. UFO and uh, yeah. and zip on over to Altair 4 and figure out what's it saying. I think you might be able to, um, in a you know reasonable amount of time here, sum up the plot of this thing, Justin. Why don't you give it a whirl? Okay, yeah, let's see. We've got about uh, 12 guys that get on a spacecraft that we've already talked about has a very clunky name like a new model of a toilet plunger <laughs> and they uh, sail really really fast over to Altair 4 because they're trying to find out hey is anyone still here alive they land on the planet they find a guy his daughter and his robot uh-huh. and um, everyone tries to kiss the daughter and yep. then something starts killing the people on the ship and yeah. then they realize that it's actually the professor who has harnessed some kind of technology that allows his subconscious to kill people. Yeah. And then they blow up the planet. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You got it. Um, so the, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to call it simple because you just said a lot of things, but it is dumb. Um, the story is dumb and (laughs) I, I, I I think that's fair to say. I think, I think old Bill, Bill Shakespeare would, would agree that perhaps if this is inspired by elements of the Tempest and not a straight adaptation, which it's not, um, none of the real substance of a, a story like that was, was carried over because this is a popcorn movie. It's, it's a spectacle, um, and it's, you know, the, the selling point on this thing was in fact, uh, the costuming, the set design, all the effects and the fact that it was in widescreen and in color, which was like amazing to people because you had some huge color films before MGM, in fact, right. Singing in the rain, wizard of Oz, just a couple of those, but like widescreen was not the norm, you know? And so to see it in scope, right. like this, Cinemascope. Yeah, Cinemascope, which is just a proprietary way of saying widescreen, you know, or whatever. Like the, every every studio, every um, film, you know, technique or camera or whatever. I don't even really know how that works. But there's a bunch of different ways of saying widescreen. There's different ratios. And if you want to nerd out about that, you can read a Quentin Tarantino interview sometime um, because he's crazy. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's safe to say, like you said, Justin, like, this movie deserves to be a punching bag at times, but at at the same time, like I'm not looking at this thinking, why 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 did this not strive to be something you know on the level of Shakespeare or something? You know what I mean? Like it's it's right. I, I don't right. think in the end they ever wanted to go that far with the story. You know, people want to say, well, this the, you know this is just the way that that this movie this era of filmmaking was you know they had sure uh we we, we can't judge it by the quentin tarantino standard you know he wasn't around okay fair enough i get it some some things have changed but as hopefully if you've listened to any other episodes of our show there has been from the 30s when where we started chronologically uh there has been plenty of cases of people that are truly using the art of film to say things uh profoundly and to say things beautifully. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't even try to do either, which I'm okay with, but it then it just kind of throws like some weird Freudian stuff 
and words like atomic fission on top <laughs> as if like that elevates things automatically or that makes it oh oh i see this is for adults this is oh i see but it just doesn't it doesn't stick cuz all that stuff this movie to me is just all a bunch of spaghetti sauce oh, yeah. over rotten spaghetti noodles travis no question and no as question. soon as you try to take the first bite mm, i'm sending it back I'm trying to picture the restaurant. How do you segue? I, no, no, no. I'm trying to picture the restaurant where they would bring you a plate and not realize the spaghetti noodles were rotten and the sauce was rotten. Oh, how did we possibly make this mistake? Yeah. Uh, but well, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I, I, I gave him a bad Yelp review. Okay. Yeah. Well, two stars. They deserved it. Um, um, thanks a lot, Olive Garden. Oh, there goes another sponsor. Um, okay. Well, we've lost Olive Garden. Oh, jeez. We'll, we'll have to try to pick up Buca oh, de Beppo or something. Um, okay. So what, what other things actually happen in this movie that are worth talking about? Well, um, the, the guys in the saucer, which, okay. One thing that's interesting, and I did watch a short documentary, which is sort of this like many years later, we look back at how the forbidden planet influenced, you know, cinema or whatever. And, uh, it was totally worth the 20 minutes or whatever uh, because it had some really cool um, talking head interviews with famous directors like, you know, John Landis and Joe Dante and uh, John Carpenter. All these like genre guys who a little bit later in the late 70s and 80s would become like, you know, they're sort of doing this same kind of thing. You think, you know, Gremlins and American Werewolf in London and John Carpenter's uh, everything essentially they're doing better versions of this, you know, kind of popcorny genre flair, uh, genre fair, excuse me. Um, and well, uh, it does have flair on occasion. Oh, so. it's got flair. I mean, just look at those spacesuits. Um, you're going to see the spacesuits here and you're going to see them in uh, what the time machine, I think. The a time little bit. machine. Yeah. yeah. And I, and on episodes of the twilight zone too, they were used. A yeah. Lot. You see parts of Robbie, the robot on the twilight zone too. And the ship apparently, Justin, I, I was re reading up on, you know, some of the nerdy behind the scenes stuff and that ship pops up in some twilight zone episodes and Folks, just, you know, bear with us for a moment. If you're listening, I'm sure uh, you, you you have patience because uh, we are who we are. But we are big Twilight Zone fans. And so, Justin, I just want to name some of these episodes and see if you can remember where this spaceship popped up uh, in the past. Uh, one of them is Third from the Sun. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. Remember that one. First, is that first That's, season, I think, maybe? Isn't that where, it, where everything grows cold? but it's really getting hot. Uh, no, that's uh, the Midnight Sun, I think. Um, oh, you're right. That's not a spacey okay. one. Um, okay, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Everybody knows that one. Um, I yes. guess it's in there. And then The Invaders, that one does not ring a bell for me. I, is that the one where the woman is all alone in her... Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if I just guessed completely wrong for e each one of these? Oh, if but we I'm could get sure like all the Twilight Zone nerds to comment on you know our Instagram post because we were wrong about everything. Hey, right. clicks or clicks, baby. Clicks um, or clicks. But I think it's about an old lady that lives like in a cabin. It looks like the Old West or something. Oh. But then you... you yeah. And she like beats these miniature spacemen. But then yes. in the end you realize the miniature spacemen are Americans. You are correct. When a woman investigates a climber okay. on the roof of her rural house, she discovers a small UFO and little alien emerging from it yeah it's not a great episode um to serve man that's a great one i think oh it's good it's really good it's a cock bark yeah really good um hocus pocus and frisbee that's a weird name but i do not remember that, that episode oh the gas station attendant yeah 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 it, oh yeah it's the guy who works at a gas station who's like telling telling stories yeah 
And then uh, Death Ship from 63. That's probably in the hour-long season. That's not as good. Um, and then on Thursday, we leave for home. Um, so some of those are big, big-name Twilight Zone episodes. So why are we talking about this? Well, the the one thing, Justin, that this movie has that is worth talking about, okay, and we will talk about some of the things that are not worth talking about too. But the one thing yes. that I think uh, maybe it should be remembered for its influence is significant is the visuals, right? Like this movie is from Absolutely. 1956 and it's got some groundbreaking stuff in it, some really ambitious stuff. And like, frankly, for a movie that I'm watching and just sort of, you know, kind of rolling my eyes at and, and hoping was better in, in, in the script maybe, I'm I'm kind of blown away by how good the effects look from time to time. The ship is one of those. I mean, the miniature work on that thing when it like flies through space and comes in and lands and everything. You might make the assumption uh, that every space movie from the 50s is like totally hokey and ridiculous. And in many ways, this one is. But really, it's just in the narrative, right? Like just in the story. Um, right. If this had a really killer like story with amazing themes and super good performances and all that, I don't know. I feel like the visuals would back it up, which is yeah. why, you know, you said, Justin, that this thing takes takes itself seriously or something. But like, yeah, I mean, Anne Francis in that in an interview in that documentary I watched, she she specifically said like the first day we came on set. Uh, we all just decided and the director told us like we are going this is a serious picture. We're going to take this seriously. And as 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 much as the movie kind of whiffs it, um, uh, it, it, they did, and you can see that in, in, in the performances, but also in the like the prop design, the map paintings, all of those. Um, anim- there, nothing's digital, right? But animated visuals and composite stuff. So I don't know. Um, we 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 should probably spend a little bit of time talking about how specifically this influence gets carried over. Um, into other films and series and stuff. But what what do you have to say about the mark that this left um, in the effects and visual department? I think it's indelible. And the movie does deserve all kinds of credit because I imagine young George Lucas watching this and this being, I know that he quotes like, uh, you know, uh, Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon yeah. in, in some of those, you know, more well-known interviews about how did you ever think of Star Wars, George? It's always like but, Kurosawa I mean, and and what Buck Rogers, I think, are the two that always right. get mentioned. But I mean, if you've seen any of Buck Rogers, I don't really recommend doing that, but um, you could. And uh, compare it with this. I mean, I I see so much of Star Wars um, from here, right? R- Robbie the robot is a is a robot that's actually seems like the sort of grandfather sort of figure of how did how did we get from you know uh robots just being like random like buckets or something <laughs> yeah, to yeah. characters like c3po sure. and r2d2 i mean he talks he speaks yeah you know yeah exactly and he well he even has that line like c3po about like i am versed in 160 languages and and yeah. there's sub dialects and stuff it's like oh my gosh that is I mean, C-3PO, you know, that line has been perfected a bit more or yeah. at least more iconic because it's so yeah. culturally. Well, known. I mean, it's couched and contextualized in something that just absolutely knows what it's doing. You know, in a, it's just better. <laughs> hey, guys, Star Wars is better than this. Yeah. Wow. That's a newsflash, right? Yeah, sorry. Guys. I mean, so, yes, the, the visuals are amazing. And and I think we can 
we can see this movie and go, wow, I mean, it it, it is surprising to me, right? Because I don't live in 1956. Yeah. So I'm sure in 1956, honestly, a lot of this stuff had to be freaking amazing to see sure. on the screen. Just sure. like, how did they do that? It looks so good. And so today, I'm st- like you, some of the miniature work is like, wow, that doesn't look corny at all. It just looks like good miniature work, you yeah. know? Or even when the, the monster kind of creature, which we'll get into you know, is like trying to come through the force field. Yeah, I know that's yeah. like mostly animated, but it still looks good. It looks you know, really it's not cool. Like, yeah. It's not stupid looking. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I see that again, like someone like George Lucas takes his um, inspiration sure. from this movie visually, but you know, like what George, uh, this is not like star Wars versus this movie, but I think why star Wars is so much more renowned is because it actually, invests itself completely in at least the original trilogy invests itself completely in in complete and holistic world building yeah right where this movie just kind of like slaps the spaghetti sauce on like we'll make a super expensive robot and does anything live on this planet Uh, i don't know that we have the budget for it not really important right yeah and and so i I mean there's a there's a few deer and a a tiger and that kind of thing but you mean the, the tiger that gets vaporized yeah. Mid-air. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's what should happen to all tigers, but that's that's right. another podcast. I'm reporting you to PETA. <laughs> okay, you name drop Star Wars, you know, we're talking about visuals and what carried over. I would just like to quickly go through the things that this is not um this is not just pontificating. So like if you're wondering if we're like, "Oh, this takes place in space and so does Star Wars." It's in, no, no, no. No. We're like specifics, right? Like you mentioned Robbie the robot being a more sophisticated you know, suit prop thing, design, overall design, and some slight personality here and there, you know, not nearly as much as something like C-3PO or even R2-D2 who, who just beeps right. and boops. But like, these are the things that I noticed, Justin, and let me know if you, if you caught these as well. First, the title card, right? Like the title card looks right. a little bit like the opening crawl to Star Wars as it kind of yeah. comes forward. Um, they say hyperdrive, <laughs> which is like, I don't know. That's probably just thrown around in like sci-fi stuff here and there. But like, I'm pretty sure we didn't have people talking about the hyperdrive and hyperspeed and whatever in like 10 other movies before this. And this is, you know, the opening ship shots through space altogether. I mean, it's really, it's the same technology they were going to use 20, you know, ish years later with Star Wars. Again, it's just perfected or whatever. Um, and then, uh, the stuff in this ship, right? Justin, did any of that remind you of like the, the kind of analog looking rebel technology, you know, like their graphs and maps and it's all like, uh, it's all like plexiglass domes and boxes and and stuff. Well, and, and I know you're on star Wars, so I don't want to totally derail us, but this might be a better, better point just to take a quick segue before we zip back to star Wars Yeah, in the spaceship. There's like. Uh, you know, if you don't see Star Trek in the ship too, oh, sure. it's like what's happening when they're coming out of hyperspace and they're like, let's all stand here like this when we get beamed up. I mean, I did not cool understand because what was happening at one iota in that moment. <laughs> I thought they were going to My guess, teleport Trev, is down like, to the surface. Honestly, honestly I, I don't know for sure, but <laughs> I, the way that I took that was that it's a really rough process coming out of uh, faster than light speed. Right. Um, I've only been at light speed, so I can't yeah. comment on faster than light speed. Sure, sure. But when you come out of that, it's like you you can't just like sit down and buckle your seatbelt. You need to go <laughs> in your little like special standy place yeah. and turn completely blue. 
and then you're gonna feel a little hot afterwards. Yeah, but that's okay because you're you're gonna you're gonna get used to it. You're It'll fine. Be okay. Well, and like, yeah. what what is the alternative, right? Like they slam up against the space windshield if they slow down too quickly. <laughs> like that would be awesome. I think uh, again, like some of this stuff is overthought the the technological jargon that this movie throws at you just left and right is complete utter like word salad it's nonsense yes like when they're trying to essentially make a transmitter right yeah. like yeah you couldn't just use like any radio terms no it's like no how about we get the galapagos out yeah, here yeah it's like i thought that was an island what is no skipper yeah. it's not an island you moron this will go to the trinficulator and then i'll hook it up to the air conditioning and it'll be fine yeah oh make sure we put that back in the core modulator or we won't be able to get back home it's like what are, <laughs> come on like i mean it's there, too much it's too much no you're right because the audience can't connect to any of that right no and again that's something that star wars did okay we're like i i i wonder if star wars took that like george in particular took that and went like how can I, I, I appreciate they're trying to tell me like these are real things. It's not just magic keeping this stuff up, but how do yeah. we convince the audience in like a fun way? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what this thing is called. Well, in the same way that it does that, like it, George Lucas just like, let's just put these things on the table from a world building perspective. Let's just put them on the table and like they are, they are real in this world. We don't need to explain why they're real. We don't, we don't need to talk about right why the hyperdrives need this thing you know like they do like a, the smallest amount of that in star wars and then never enough to bore you and in this uh it's the same thing with the slowing down from light speed right it's like in star wars what do they do when they slow down from light speed they pull a lever and then they slow down from light right. speed and then everybody's fine you know like I, nobody cares about the beam of light that you can't explain <laughs> like because there's right. there's no way to connect to it yeah um yeah and i i i think you're right i mean Star Wars and Star Trek both like you look at the suits in this and you know again where Star Wars goes to the like kind of weird gritty somewhat dilapidated like everything's falling apart in Star Wars for some reason you know until you get to the prequels and everything's too shiny and in Star Trek it's kind of the opposite right like everything is very buttoned yeah. down and re weirdly uniform like this movie you know. Um, so there's, there's those things. Um, there's two moons, you know, which I'm, I'm sure it's just the reality of being on a certain planet and looking up into the sky, but like two moons and two suns, you can't really deny the visual yeah. parallel there. They call it out in the movie. They're like, Oh, it's still weird to see two moons in the sky. You know, that, that, that's a thing. Um, but the biggest one to me, Justin, and one of the most impressive that this movie has to offer is when they get down into the belly of the Krell technology yes. and the Krell are this, uh, alien race that lived on Altair, Altair 4 that you never see, but they're only spoken of. And oh man, are they spoken of? They just talk about the Krell over and over and over again. Um, but anyway, you get down into their like uh, giant, vast storehouses of technology. And I don't know, they almost look like hydroelectric dam technology, which makes sense to me for the 50s, right? That would be a little right. bit of something that someone could attach to reality. But the overhead shot, right, of like the bridge and the giant pylons yes. with like electrical stuff shooting, that looks like so much like the thing that, you know, Palpatine gets thrown into and fried at the end of Return of the Jedi, you know? Right. Um, so these are significant and specific influences that you're right. This movie does deserve credit for. Um, what, what else, um, before we maybe go to some of the, the less savory bits of the movie to talk about Justin, I mean, I think what the movie wants to do, what it really tried to do. Right. And, and so again, I don't want to be too unfair to this movie because j just to ask somebody 
that's never done, you know, like people weren't churning out the Forbidden Planet kind of movies all the time, at least to this scale and this scope. And, and yeah. in some ways with this kind of ambition, right? At least talking about visually. Yeah. Um, and so it, it does deserve credit for really trying to push those boundaries, I think. Um, and, and so I, I get the impression that that was that became so much of the focus, though. That as we start talking about the story now, I think it becomes very clear that even though that that may have been the intention of all the cast and crew, hey, we need to make a serious movie. Yeah, you you don't just like saying it doesn't make it happen. Yeah, you, no you got to put in the work. You got to have the the foundation for it. Yeah, and this movie doesn't really have that. Um, yeah, and and I think that for me that becomes really apparent. I mean, if it wasn't apparent when they're like when they look like they're being beamed up, but they're just actually putting on the parking brake on their <laughs> spacecraft, um, it becomes really apparent when um, they encounter the the doctor and yes. Doctor Morbius and his daughter Altera, not Altera Four. Don't get those confused, okay? No, or no. you're an idiot. Yeah, well, um, well, they could have picked any name, and yet they picked the one that right. sounds like the only other thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the only other exactly. space name yeah. here, like is Altera. Uh, Oh shoot! Now I got them mixed up. Dang it! Alter four. Yeah. yeah, and then her name is Altera, and sometimes they just call her Alta, and it's like ah, like you're 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 designing this in a way to specifically confuse the audience. It's just that when she shows up, uh, 1956 again, and you if you're seeing this, oh yeah, we I think I made a joke about uh, in our singing in the rain episode, Travis, you know, or, or a comment about how. Um, it, it definitely in the musicals of this era, when you know women come out, you're going to see all leg, right? Yep. Uh, for some reason, this is not a musical. Uh, thank goodness. I don't think that would have solved the problem here. Uh, it might have been more fun, but yeah. Uh, go ahead. It would have been potentially more. Well, no, it wouldn't. Okay, before we get to Altera, here's why that would not have been fun. Okay, watching the intro credits, this movie did not list someone that was a composer. It listed musical tonalities yes. by B.B. and Louis Barron. And yeah. I thought, uh, so So I like music. And oh, so yeah. I thought, wow, are they just like so um, <laughs> against electronic music that they won't even call it that? Like that seems kind of harsh. Yeah. But holy crap, Travis, listening to this stuff oh, is like, I watch this with my kids, right? And one of my daughters is like, I don't. Ah, like just during the intro, the credits, she's like, I don't like that sound. It kind of hurts my ears, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it kind of hurts mine too. Yeah. And honestly, the mix, I don't, I don't know if it's just the version I watched, Travis, but the mix is not amazing. No. Because it, when that score comes in, it's hard to hear anyone like clearly you're calling it a score though justin and i it's I, not a score i'm sorry it's yeah. not a score i i retract that it's, it is just sound it is just sound and this is this is one of my biggest beefs with this movie if you had just like i, I just complained about this right i just talked about high noon being overscored you know a couple episodes ago and we were like you know right. some 50s movies they just kind of go crazy with the score and it's a little distracting I wish this had a bombastic full orchestra, like, you know, totally like Buck Rogers level. Cause yeah. Cause we're in space. Yeah. Why but, not? But that's part of, that is part of this, you know, cast and crew and director's philosophy. We are taking this thing seriously. So this is, I, I, I know a little bit of the backstory because I listened to one of the not composers, tonality people, whatever they're called in that documentary. And this is, this is how it's, this is how it's recounted in the documentary, Justin. I was fascinated by this. 
they're like, okay, so we were hired, me and this guy, this lady who did the uh, the t- music tonality beep boops. Um, they should just credit it as the beep boop orchestrators, the beep boop band. Yeah. Um, they're like, we were we were we were hired to do the sound effects for this movie. Okay, makes sense. They need beep boops. They're in space, totally. Uh, and then they we sent them in what we had so far, and they were just blown away by this stuff. And they gave us the entire score to the movie. Uh, and this stuff was all made, all of these sounds for this, you know, score, soundtrack, or whatever you want to call it, 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 they were all made with weird, like, pieced together analog, like, pre-synthesizer synthesizer, like, literal vacuum tubes and valves and crazy weird circuits and stuff like that. That is what you're hearing, right? And so they talk about, like, this was incredibly difficult to produce all of this for the movie because it was never done before. It's the first fully electronic score for a movie. You know, this is how it's being spoken about. And I'm just sitting there like, uh, this sucks. Um, there's nothing about this that, that makes this movie better. It's super confusing because you're watching the movie and it doesn't sound like music. It, like, I know what music is. And this is just like, it's not even like pitches a lot of the time. It's just literal like boop sounds. What you did was more musical than anything I heard. Yeah, in well, this film. I can't help myself, Justin. I'm a musical yeah. genius. <laughs> you're just a genius, Travis. Ew. No, I, I agree, man. This... Uh, Honestly, just hearing that stuff after a while, at first, you know, during the intro, even though it's super loud and just bizarre, I thought like, okay, I guess they're just trying to set the stage and let me know this is going to be like something new, right? Whatever. You get a pass on that. Sure. But an hour into the movie, like it's, it's worn off. It wore off like after the credits. Okay. (laughs) It's so annoying. It is so annoying. Yeah. It just pisses me off because (laughs) I can't even hear Leslie Nielsen talk without. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, it's not good to hear. So I don't really, it's unfortunate that it was so hard to produce because uh, it's very easy just to put the freaking movie on mute if you're watching oh it at your gosh. own home. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, it's not fun. And honestly, I don't think that did anything to, um, to like further electronic music. No. And I, I, I know so. this is not a musical podcast. Yeah. But, you know, like, I, I'm a big, um, George Harrison fan. So sure. I had a, a lot of his albums from from all the Apple years. And like, one of his first albums was just electronic sounds on like yeah. the first Moog. And it's terrible because it's just him messing around, dude. I don't even know why it's an album, right? But like, okay, so, so why I bring that up just to say just because you're trying something new, yeah, uh, it doesn't make it good. It just makes it a novelty at best. Yeah. And this is not even that. No. It's a pissity because it just makes <laughs> me angry. Pissity. Okay, and about the credit, before we move on, because there's there's nothing else to say about the music in this movie. Um, the lowercase the, m the the um credit was a like a legality issue like because neither of these people were like you know um uh, 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 composers in a um why can't I think of the word a union oh right? a union yeah yeah because they were not musical people these were not people who were like oh we're musicians who are trying something experimental no 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 these were two sound effects nerds who decided we were going to try to make something like music out of these electronic things. And they were, that's why they don't get a composer credit because they're not composers. <laughs> oh right. man. It's well, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, but okay. Ridiculous. So I was starting to talk about, um, 
Poor, poor Altera. Oh, my yeah. Let, let's get to her because the movie certainly does from time to time, you know, when it feels um, like it. Yeah. So Altera shows up and is the only female in this movie. And you know what? That's not, I, I don't find that like on its premise, right? If you're telling me this is a movie about a naval men going through in their <laughs> spacecraft yeah. to a planet to figure out what's going on and all they find is a doctor and his daughter for right. humans. Okay, I get like that. That's not like a knock against this movie. No, I'm not Justin, asking why. It's half the, of the Tempest, cast Justin. It's the Tempest. That's why. It's oh <laughs> right. Okay, thank uh, you, Travis. Yeah, bringing yeah. us back to reality. And there's Bill Shakespeare knocking on our door again. <laughs> um, so, but okay, so she shows up, and she is. I don't even know if it's appropriate to call it a miniskirt. Yeah, because, it's a miniskirt. Yeah, it's like it's like what would become popular in the '60s with like you oh, know with like but, boots, like high boots and short skirt kind of look. But yeah. wait a minute, okay, you're talking about the go-go stuff. Yeah, and that reminds me, I was at the Buffalo Bill Museum one time. Uh-huh. This is in Colorado, and it was excellent. But there was also these um, elderly people that were around there, <laughs> and and so we were walking around. Like the museum is really cool inside, but outside you can actually go and look at Buffalo Bill's grave, and there's a beautiful scenic viewpoint. And uh, and and so I'm looking for Buffalo Bill's grave, and it's kind of cool. There's kind of a somber environment, but you know, kind of beautiful. Makes you think about your, you know, mortality, all that cool stuff yeah. that kids love talking about. <laughs> and uh, and then and but I hear these people that come. It's kind of far away, and it's getting closer and closer. And I just hear, go go boots. She's got go go boots. And it's these uh, like three elderly people, and and this elderly woman is just going on and on about how one person is wearing go go boots. <laughs> And then it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot be out here anymore. And yeah. so I went inside the museum and they followed me inside and they kept like loudly shouting about go-go boots. And I like these weren't mentally incapacitated people. They were just super passionate about go-go boots. Yeah. Anyway, you, you brought that up. You brought that memory flooding back to me, Travis. Hey, that memory it, was better than any single scene in this movie as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, okay. But here's why I'm, I'm suggesting that Altera is not wearing a miniskirt. Okay. Because I do agree, it has that shape, but did you notice when she's, like, petting the deer, she, she like, can't even bend over? Yeah, yeah. Because um, that would just reveal anything and <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. It would become, like, a crop top very shortly. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just, it's a, okay, it's weird because this movie is saying, this is serious, folks, let's take this seriously. Hey, what kind of skimpy outfit could we put the one female in this movie in? And it's, like, yeah. uh, I immediately... That takes the seriousness away, right? Because I think there's there's it's one thing to try to portray someone as like, oh, this is the beautiful character, you know. Or sure. So, there's a gazillion ways to do that. Yeah. Well, it's like how how the characters used to, right? I mean, the clothes are one thing. Exactly. Right? The clothes are one thing, and like one one point I'd like to make about this is it it does that thing that that just kind of pisses me off more than than if they were to do nothing, which is it makes this really wimpy half-hearted swing at an idea right and that idea is oh yeah she is like eve in the garden of eden or something right because she's like literally out in the greenery like communing with animals she shouldn't be communing with as far as we're concerned and you know like the clothing she literally says like what's wrong with my clothes is is you know so there's a world in which this movie exists and she's dressed a certain way that we look at and we say like okay this is this is provocative or, or something, right? And and the movie is trying to say something interesting about that. It's not like it's not just doing it because it's a popcorn movie and this might make the guys in the in the audience happy or, or whatever. 
Um, but this movie's just like not even remotely interested in that. You know, it's just not. And so the the way the characters used is the telltale sign. And the way she's used is she's used, man. Like she she shows up in the movie and all of these dudes who, you know, literally it's like the dumb jokes you hear about like sailors at sea when they come back to the, the you know, come back uh, on, <laughs> to port or whatever. Um, they're just like fawning all over her and not just fawning all over her, but like they're, they're making passes, man. They're kissing her and she doesn't even know what that means because she has this wonderfully, uh, little, uh, feature, Justin, this little, this little quirk, uh, which is total built in ignorance to all things humanity. And so like, there's no, there's, you talk about, we always talk about characters not having agency. It's like, oh my gosh, they have set this up so that she is just like so ignorant to everything that like guys are kissing her and like quote unquote falling in love with her. And like, it's just so, I don't even want to talk about it anymore unless you want to, it's gross. You know, it's just gross. And uh, well, yeah, it, because they don't treat her as a real character, right? No. Cause I, I, I agree. What, what ticks me off. Like we're so, we're so angry about this movie. <laughs> Let it go. Guys. All the beep uh, but, they make you know, me so mad. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bummer that it, it would be super interesting if they played her as like, okay, let's really imagine that somebody was, all alone. She's the only woman, right? And she's only known her father. Those are the only people she's experienced her whole life. Okay, that's super interesting. What would she be like when she grows up and she suddenly meets other people? Right. I in in my mind, it's like there's a couple ways you could go with that, but any any way would probably be some variation if you're being honest anyway, with like just total social ineptitude. Yeah. Not not so much naivety, right? You know, m- maybe the movie is trying to say like, no, she's just so innocent, she has no clue. Yeah, yeah. The innocence thing might be interesting again if they went down that road, but they just But like, they they don't go down it no. because as soon as she like she kisses someone, she's like, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. And then, but later then she's like, Leslie Nielsen, I love you. Yes. And it's like, yeah. that happens in like 30 seconds. Yeah. It's like, it's just like Weena in Time Machine. Like, it's the same stupid thing. Yeah. And it, like, you know, yeah. there's, there's nothing to me, there's nothing fun or enjoyable about watching the performances or the story whenever she's on screen. And it's not her fault. Like she's doing, I think, right above and beyond the call of duty as far as acting is concerned. But the character exists to be a, just an object, you know. It's it's. Did you okay? Did you find the swimming scene really odd? Yeah, for a couple reasons, right? Because like the movie's already done a version of what it's doing in that scene, right? Like they put her in right. like short dresses or skirts, or whatever, and then they sort of like you know they have her say that line, "What's wrong with my clothes?" She doesn't know, you know, whatever. And then it's like okay, but then. She asked the robot to make her something that is, you know, less revealing. She says, like, you know, nothing can show above or below. And then the robot's going to make her this dress that she does eventually put on after swimming around, you know, naked question mark. But it's not naked because she's wearing like a skin colored suit. It's just like this is all just a bummer to me. Like all of this is just a bummer. Uh, I don't I I, I, want to run away. I want to run away okay. from this. Well, we can we can run away. Maybe we could talk about something that is good then. Okay. okay. Because I agree that the the 
I'll just I'll just say the swimming suit thing. It was like it was really clearly trying to show up, set up that she's naked. Right. She's like he's like, oh, I I didn't bring a bathing suit. Yeah. What's a bathing suit? Yeah. But then you see her wearing something in yeah. there as she's getting out of the water. It made so, no, no sense. No, it's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah, I don't. I it's so weird. Um, I would like to lighten the mood with two lines of dialogue, Justin. Oh, okay. Go yeah. ahead. Because this movie just has lines that are you on the face like of them just utterly insane and stupid uh the first one i'd like to bring up is the fact that leslie nielsen uh by the way this features the screen debut of leslie nielsen who you know from like you know the naked gun among other things he's a really really good comedic actor he changed over the years yeah he did and this is they're presenting him as like the hunky leading man and you know whatever but like his performance is so stodgy he's so serious and and then he like screams a couple times i found that kind of interesting just from like oh leslie nielsen's a goofball not in this um right and he's also the romantic lead you know romantic in quotes or whatever um anyway at one point he's disciplining one of his uh crew members because he's the commander he's commander adams um and he says like that's it i'm gonna dock your space pay for 10 months <laughs> that's just like, <laughs> of all You're the s- jargon you couldn't come up with like a, a name for that currency it's literally called space pay like oh come on commander <laughs> not my space pay take away my earth pay <laughs> what's yeah, the, what what's the difference space between pay? space pay and earth pay because they do well, still live on earth right theoretically you get space pay faster okay. it's kind of like direct deposit it's like venmo but, yeah okay interesting yeah but it's even quicker <laughs> it, it it goes at the speed of light and then it has to stand in a beam of light to slow down and then you get it in right your account okay the only other line i wanted to bring up justin was just the fact that um dr morbius who's played by walter pigeon who's like a very renowned uh actor he's he's in a million things by the way he has like 139 imdb credits all the way back to silent stuff to like 1926. Anyway, he's a very like uh, very much cast in the role of bringing gravitas. You know, he's got a great voice. Sure. Um, he's saying all these professorial things. He's he's the educated one. He knows about the Corel technology. As the story goes on, you find out he's he's boosted his IQ. You know, with this machine. <laughs> um, yes. Which I just wanted to say the name of the machine, Justin, and then let you talk about. Um, Maybe we can talk about the whole middle section where they're going through the Krell technology area. Oh boy, it's fun. You say fun. Um, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, I'll quantify it. One of the first things he shows them among, I don't know, two dozen things that he shows them is uh, he calls it the plastic educator. Uh, yes. That's what he hooks his brain up to to boost his brain juice, Justin. Yep. He sure does. <laughs> And before they get in there, I found it really, it was a really fun attempt to do some world building. I, I don't know, may, maybe maybe I'm just t- too critical here. So he opens the door, right? The first yes, Krell the door. door they walk the through. Door, yes. And he's like, and somebody's like, what the heck? This ain't <laughs> shaped like the one I got at Home Depot. And he's like, well, you know, slow your roll there, Home Slice, because this wasn't built for no humans. Yeah. We don't know what the Krell looked like. But apparently they might have looked like a giant triangle or a diamond. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense because then you go to the plastic educator yeah. and you you freaking put the diddly dupes on your forehead yeah. and, and the twirly trops yep. you like in, in your cranial area. Uh-huh. And it's like, but wait a minute, if they were, because he's like, clearly this was made for someone much larger yeah, than yeah, me. Of course. But it's like, wait a minute, you just told me their head comes to a point. I don't. And, I don't know where that would go. And, and yet it, it fits so, you. Like what? The- it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it okay. There's not. 
it, again, it's like it's trying to really think through those things. Like the script writer, I think, tried to really communicate something. Yeah. And I don't know what the disconnect happened if the director went like, this guy can't write for a hill of beans. And yeah. then just like, was like, okay, make it triangle. I, I don't know what <laughs> make happened. Make it triangle. <laughs> the result is it doesn't make sense. That um, was the red it, pen on the that script draft. It was like, this is good, but make it triangle. And then they, they <laughs> redid it. Well, and I don't know what the... I, I mean, I don't know if the writer was like on one or something, yeah. but when poor Dr. Morbius gives them like the grand tour oh of everything gosh. Krell... Um, I it's believe so that actually freaking boring. Well, oh my Travis, gosh. I think you'd be interested to know that um, in the original, like in, in the first test screening of this, um, the studio was interested to find out if there was any correlation between uh, the control group of the audience and the group that received Valium while watching this scene. <laughs> um, and interestingly, the results were not different. Uh, between those two groups, so I think Ugh. that might say something. Oh my gosh. Uh, but yeah, boring is is being generous. Um, halfway through that sequence, Justin. Halfway through that sequence, he says, "Would you care to see some more of the Krell wonders?" And I'm like, "Please say no! Like, please for the love, <laughs> turn back now." And then, and hey, then, do they have like an arcade in here? I'd like to see that. Please. And immediately they're like, "Yes, we would." And I'm like, "Ah, please <laughs> stop." Oh, it's yeah, like, so again, so it, it like the coolest thing in there is that you get that very like Death Star kind of aesthetic yes. for some of the the sets that they've built, and and it still holds up really well, right? Like it looks it's great. clearly not a full set, but it it looks really good. Yeah. Um, but it's just exposition after oh exposition gosh. without any real. It's it's just it, none, it, none of it makes movie, sense. None of it makes sense. You're talking about the door and the what they say about the creatures. I also was super getting twitchy when I was watching this documentary because there are like five people in a row in this, these these interviews were like, oh, I thought it was such a brilliant decision to never show the Krell because then your mind fills in the, the blank spaces. And I'm like, get out of here. That is some serious like nonsense because they say <laughs> things they say things like oh well the door's shaped differently so they must have been shaped strangely you know pointy head whatever you know and then you're walking through the krell technology forever and ever with dr morbius and he he shows them these two like screens that are like window we said one is a window one is a mirror i don't even know i was totally tuned out <laughs> to the nonsense but then i i did get this line justin and tell me if you can explain this little gem Man does not behold the face of the Gorgon and live. What? 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 What is the Gorgon? Like that's what's happening. Well, that's 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 Greek myth. That that you know, right? That well, that but, reference. But I'm saying Travis knows. Okay. No, Travis no, no. Knows, guys. I get that. But what the oh, crap okay. is it? What is he talking about? I'm not talking like, about the reference to the Greek myth. I'm saying what? Okay. What is it paralleled in this room with two? mirror screen things what is yeah it? so i'm going to be totally honest with you and give my take on that please is i have no idea and i didn't <laughs> care enough to try to figure it out because um, he, the the okay and, and then i'll ask you this question and i'll let you i'll let you give a very long-winded answer if you choose to the krell are spoken of and slightly described or at least they're like we think this and he says like we assume i have deduced blah 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 okay and then <laughs> He says the, the reference to the Gorgon while they're looking in those screens, and it's like, okay, so are we about to see whatever this movie's version of that is? I don't, I don't really know. And then later on, when we do see the monster, at least the outline and kind of basic form of the monster, when they're shooting their their blasters at it, um, it's not, it's not said to be a 
Krell being. It's just a monster. Right. And so all of this right. is just so, what, what, is any of that connected or is it just like nonsense? The, I don't think the whole Gorgon and the mirror thing even matters because it's just, it's never referenced again. It no. doesn't come up anymore in the story. So I don't even think our befuddlement there ultimately it, matters. It probably doesn't. Um, I, I think the, the creature though that attacks, uh, you know, our good space troopers while they were looking for the Taco Bell. Yes. That is, um, that is, uh, well, Travis, <laughs> uh, do you know about Dr. Freud? Yes, because this movie uh, taught me all I needed to know, Justin. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. Yes, I knew we were headed for troubled waters when the uh, the the second in command got his brain boosted oh, and yeah. also busted. Yeah. Can anyone say aneurysm? They say Ouch. they literally say brain boost, like that's a thing. They're yeah. like, I if we don't get in there and take that brain boost, we don't know what's gonna happen. I'm like, oh please, stop <laughs> it's saying so fifties. It's so it's bad fifties, okay, right? So what does he say? Do after you need a brain boost? <laughs> <laughs> what does um, he say after he melts his, melts his brain, Justin? Tell, tell he, the good well, people. Well, he lays down on the couch and he says, They forgot about the subconscious. And yeah. It's like... Monsters, well, John. Um, monsters from the id. And it's like, oh no, please do not. Do not do this. And then they do yeah, it. I, I was really hoping the id was finally like, oh, we're going to find out something like new and different about the Krell. Yeah. Um, and I guess if, if it was just that, the definition, then the movie did meet that definition. We did find something out. Mm -hmm. However, this is where the whole logic of the movie just implodes on itself, whether or not you've seen the Gorgon. Um, <laughs> actually, if you've seen the Gorgon, it's probably better for you because you're dead at that yeah, point. You're dead. You, can't, you can't receive any more of this punishment. Yeah. But uh, so supposedly, Travis, it, tell me if our impression is the same. Okay. Because with the, with the movie told me and what i understood from the movie <laughs> is that the krell became so powerful yes and immaterial therefore okay apparently they could pierce the division between body and soul um yeah they they were able to make themselves non-physical okay uh -huh. but somehow that did not <laughs> this is so stupid <laughs> somehow this did not erase the reality of their subconscious yeah. which was apparently freed from their their immaterial but still around minds, and the subconscious just was kind of like, oh crap, it's on now, and yeah. just like murdered everyone. Was like, yeah, I'm free. What up? And just like killed everyone in one night. Yeah, is yeah. that your understanding of what happened? I I got some of that, and you filled in a couple of the gaps for me, buddy. Um, okay, we we have got. To land the plane, I cannot. Okay, my brain is going to be melted, and I'm going to see the monsters in the here, id if we don't. Okay, here's here's how we'll land it. Yeah. We can we can come on a good note, but before we get there, I got to just follow up and say, okay, so the Krell all died, yeah. right? Because they their their subconscious killed themselves. It's not really clear. Don't yeah. even think about it. They the, the the Krell died because there were budget cuts and they couldn't afford to put them in this movie. That's why the yeah, Krell no, died. They spent it all on Robbie's suit, and yeah. they're like, <laughs> wait a minute, where's Triangle Man? Um, I'm sorry, we spent that all on Robbie's legs. <laughs> what? You idiot! I need to give you a brain boost! And, oh uh, yeah, it was just not a good day on set. Um, I can tell you that right now. This is a serious movie, though, guys. This is a serious film. I don't, you don't know if you realize this, but, yeah, um, Anne Francis, originally, her uh, when she went in to get her costume fit, originally it wasn't a miniskirt. It was just this long-flowing train. Um, yes. And the train of her robe filled the temple. <laughs> and uh, the Temple of Altair IV. Come and, on. Come and on. unfortunately... You're torturing me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Unfortunately, when they got to shoot on day one, she put it on and went, what happened to the train in my robe? Uh-huh. And they just pointed at Robbie. Yep. Um, so, yep. okay, so, so Dr. Morbius turns out to be the villain because his subconscious yes. is somehow connected to the Krell <laughs> subconscious, maybe? Or maybe it's its own thing? No, he boosted so his... Okay, I, let me fix this for you. He boosted his brain so many times... <laughs> That he could make not just little Princess Leia-looking versions of things with his mind, but he could conjure up big, scary, kill, killing things. And so the monster yeah. is it is literally his subconscious lashing out at things that he feels threatened by. It's his primitive self, or whatever you know, Freud might okay. you know phrase it. As. But can you riddle me this, Batman? How come <sighs> he says, "I want you to stop" to his subconscious, yes. and that kills him? And then uh, the solution <laughs> is. Hey, throw that lever over there, Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be in comedies later. I can do this. And yeah. it makes this sound effect like, Mah-hunk! and yeah. he pushes the lever in the floor and he's like, well, that did it. This whole planet's going to blow up. It's time for you to leave. <laughs> I don't have what an is answer. this movie? Uh, no, I don't have an answer for you. I, I really don't. All I have to say is uh, we need to answer one more question. And the question is, <laughs> is it worth your time? <laughs> You go first, big boy. I can't I, well, I gotta gather my thoughts. I got too many brain boosts from that conversation. Oh, crap, yeah. dude. I don't want you to die. <laughs> or you're going to come back and be like, well, I made this robot that will co-host with you lesser life form yes. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie is, it, it really is for, I think, the audience is people that are really curious about film history and like, how did we get where we are today? Especially if you're interested in visuals and practical effects or animation, blah, 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 blah. This movie is setting kind of the record, right? This this movie is the shoulders uh, uh, that that this this metaphor is breaking down quickly. But anyway, the idea is this movie equals a person, and George Lucas stood on the shoulders of that person yeah. and did some other cool stuff. Um, that that's uh, that's the best we can say for this movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, Robbie's kind of fun. He's the most fun thing in this movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Except you also have a cook called Cookie that is like <laughs> addicted to whiskey, even yeah. though he hasn't had any in like a year. And it doesn't give you a, a hangover bit. for some reason. It's not natural. Yeah. He says. Yeah. Um. No. I. I. So. So. Yeah. If you're really interested in the visual kind of side of Hollywood, and and wow, how did we get from like you know doing really ridiculous like still shots to to where we are today. Yeah. This movie is a really important stepping stone in that in that regard. How often would you rewatch this just <laughs> in all other regards you can step over this movie. So I would never yeah. rewatch this. No. Cuz I've seen it now and it's like get me out of here. I want to be 100 million miles away from this movie like no they are from Altor 4 when it explodes. Yep. Uh I would only add um this is a like you said, like undeniably significant movie in in what it did with visuals and stuff. I I did think um, here's here's the real answer for me. Watch the twenty minute documentary. Don't watch the movie because everything that matters, like visually, that is going to be like sort of put on a platter before you like look at this they did this first right. It's in the twenty minute documentary, and then you don't have to watch any of the nonsense that's totally. Uh, alternating between boring and, um, 
you know, a, a feminist manifesto of sorts, uh, if you will. Um, I think if you will. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I, I did I, like the part where Leslie Nielsen puts on the bikini. That was very ahead of its time. My brain is boosted, Justin. I'm going to have an aneurysm. <laughs> um, I, I just want to say one last thing, which is uh, at probably 40 plus minutes in, I looked at, I, I checked the runtime of this thing like every 10 minutes after that. It's just, it is a slog of a movie. Not a lot actually happens. There's only a couple like quote unquote action set pieces in the whole thing. It's 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 dull, and it's dull in a way that is annoying because it's got this beep, boom, beep, boom, like music happening, not music, sound stuff happening, um, and then yet, Justin, when you get to that third act and they're running from the invisible monster that he has to tell to stop, and then he dies for some reason. They're throwing in lines like we're all monsters in our subconscious, so so we have laws and religion, and then the, it, the whole movie ends with him embracing this this Altera character, like they're gonna be fine forever, everything's great, and he just says, it will remind us that we are, after all, not God. And I'm like, I'm, like I, I, I am more and more in my older age, you know, I'm not old relative to lots of people on this planet, but I've seen a lot of movies at this point. And what I think Justin maybe annoys me more than anything else is not earning the right to your grand statements. <laughs> and so I think back to Frankenstein and things like that, where it's like, you just stay a popcorn flick and embrace the, the dumb. And this movie so aggressively goes in the other direction. It's like, we know the director said to everyone, this is a serious film. You can see that everyone's giving a serious performance in a movie that is inherently stupider than it thinks it is. And so I do not think the movie is worth your time. I think the 20 minute documentary that tells you why the visuals are significant is worth your time. I will never rewatch this. And um, that's all I have to say about that. I need to get in the spaceship, Justin, and get the crap out of here. All right. Well, the beep boops, Justin, they're fading, fading away and fading away. Fading fast. Yes. Hopefully never to be heard or seen again. Yeah, that would be great. Um, next week, funnily enough, we do have a proper Shakespeare adaptation by, I think, a filmmaker who knows what he's doing a little bit more in that department than what we watched this week. It is Throne of Blood by Akira Kurosawa. It'll be a good palate cleanser, I think. Travis. It will. And we will have a palate cleansing buddy named Annie with us. Uh, yes. Come on back next week and listen in, folks. Bye. Pew, pew. Let the movie speak. Our radar just picked up something. Where away? At the head of the Arroyo. Moving. This way, sir, slowly. Automatic control. Batteries. Fire.